Hi, I'm Tim Hernandez. Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. In fall of 2018, my fourth year of living in El Paso, I had learned of the Tornillo Children's Detention Facility and found myself heartbroken over the idea that immigrant children were caught up in the system and being held at this facility by the thousands. I looked it up and learned right away about the many local organizations that were raising awareness about this situation and protesting at the gates, but one man in particular caught my curiosity, a man named Joshua Rubin. I don't know what it was exactly about Joshua. Perhaps it was the way he slept alone in an RV there at the gates, defying threats to leave. It's one thing to have this kind of resolve in groups, but another to do this work in solitude. I went there to meet him and I took my children that day. Joshua was there with a protest sign that read, Free the Children. I was deeply impacted by his mission to bear witness. I left with my kids that day. I went home and I began this poem. My children live here with me. Their mother lives in California. They miss her. This poem is incapable of carrying them to her. It's not a vehicle. Today is now December 4th, 2018, and they cannot touch their mother, not even with a poem. You think they haven't tried? Last night, my son climbed into bed with me. We cuddled, and I rested my mouth against the back of his head, inhaling him deeply. In that short contact between his scent and my nose, I could not help but wonder how distance from his mother will eventually shape him. Time away will change his DNA. In two weeks, the children will both fly to California to visit her. My children are qualified to travel alone. Days ago, I took them both to Tornillo. There, we met a man named Joshua Rubin, a software developer from Brooklyn. He's been posted at the gates bearing witness for months now. I explained to my children what this meant, bearing witness. But why, Dad? Because someone who wasn't there will tell the story and get it wrong. Joshua knows this. He's taken months off of work to be there, morning to night. He misses his wife. Their longing is nothing compared. One day, these tents will come down, and this land will return to what it was. We cannot forget the children who cried out, the names of their mothers and fathers. From the silent desolation of this desert, who lost their breath while standing in line an eternity, waiting to become qualified. And with that, our guest today is Joshua Rubin, a software developer from Brooklyn, New York, the founder of Witness at the Border. He was a witness at Tornillo, Texas Influx Detention Facility for Migrant Children and a similar shelter in Homestead, Florida. These facilities held over 3,000 children at their peak. Both no longer do. Joshua Rubin, welcome to Words on a Wire, my friend. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. It is. It's good to see you again. Uh, you know, you're back in El Paso, uh, continuing the wonderful, uh, important work that you've been doing for well, the years that I've known you. Um, before we get into the many questions I have for you and, uh, and listening to what you've got going on uh, these days, I want to actually just remind our listeners that this is the pandemic version of Words on a Wire. So we're not in our KTEP studios as we normally would be. We're actually recording. Uh, I'm here based in my home here in El Paso. I'm recording here and and Josh is based in our, well, right now you're recording at your hotel here in El Paso. Is that right, Josh? Uh, that's right. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm right here in town, downtown. 
Right. But you're originally from uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York. That's where I live, Brooklyn, New York, and that's where I, I've been hiding out from the pandemic. Uh, I guess we've all been hiding out. That's uh, my hideout. Yeah, I guess we have in some way. That's true. Um, you know, the first time you and I met was uh, actually this is the second time I've had you on our show. I want to remind our listeners of that because the first time we met was in around fall of 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, I invited you onto the show, onto Words on a Wire, to talk about um, your work around the Tornillo, uh, well, what I'll call the Tornillo Children's Detention Center, for lack of the official language around that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, here we are catching up with you. Tell us why you're back in El Paso. Well, I, you know, the, the, the tragic irony, I guess, is that I'm back here in El Paso because in El Paso, again, uh, is a site of, uh, of where we're keeping children. Mm -hmm. um, and these children are now the, the consequences of, uh, of, of the current policy um, that uh, forbids uh, asylum for adults, uh, but allows it for children. And as a result, uh, parents are making the, uh, the, the horrible, fateful choice of, uh, of sending their kids for uh, Some of them held as families and then uh, decide they're going to send their kids over. And so we have what, uh, what the government likes to call unaccompanied minors, um, which I like to call children. And we have them at, uh, at Fort Bliss, uh, um, at a place uh, where they're being kept kind of remotely. We really can't see them. We don't know where they are, really. You know how big Fort Bliss is. Um, right. it's, uh, it's as big as some states, it seems. And um, they have capacity there for 5,000 kids. We know that they have somewhere between two and 3,000. And we're here to uh, to draw a line. I, I, I came here with with um, a, a bunch of people who continue to work work with me. Uh, we're called we call ourselves witness at the border now. Right. And um, they, they came here, and what we decided to do on the phone because again we were in the pandemic, but we started trying to think of what we could do now that a lot of us are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I hope you are. Yeah. Um, well, we decided that we needed to draw the line because people weren't seeing the connection between this policy that we have at the border yeah. and the fact that we're away again in a place like Fort Bliss. Right. So we have we have a schedule for Friday, uh, what we call a walk for the children or caminata por la niñez. We're taking a walk from the Paso del Norte Bridge. We're walking all the way to a gate of Fort Bliss, the Pershing Gate. Um, well, I, to draw the connection. I, I should interject here just briefly that um, by the time this airs, that will have already took place, right? Taken place. It would be on Friday. This airs on Sunday. But but I know that um, you know the the message behind that uh, you know it, it go, reaches and stretches far beyond any single day. You know, I know that the work you're gonna you're you're invested in here because I've seen you before. It lasts longer than than just the walk itself, which is why I felt it important to have you on our program because I know that on Dia del Nino you guys will be doing the walk, which is Friday, April 30th. But um, but this won't air till a couple of days after. That said. Um, there's many ways that folks can find out how to support and work with you all still uh, online and through other means. Um, and I, actually, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here for a second because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that towards the latter part of our conversation. We don't have much time, but I want, I want our listeners who are not familiar with you to be reminded of 
the work that you, um, what brought you out here to Tornillo and the El Paso area in the first place. If you don't mind sort of backtracking a little bit, taking us back to uh, early 2018 when you, uh, you know, when you first uh, were prompted to come out here. Tell us how that happened. Well, it, it, it came from a, a kind of a desperation, uh, a not knowing what to do um, when faced with uh, the, 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 the horror of what I was experiencing sitting in my room, uh, my apartment in Brooklyn, and looking at the news and hearing about child separation, you know, family separ sep separating and um, uh, that, that, that horrible thing that was going on at the border and seeing pictures of, of the borderlands in the Rio Grande Valley and here. And uh, having earlier in my life been down here and spent time in Texas, kind of vagabonding around and working on a shrimp boat, I was seeing scenes that I'd seen before and it made me feel as though I could just get up out of my chair and I could come down to the valley and I could do something. And so I went to McAllen with a sign that said, free them. And I got arrested and I moved around to other places and there were demonstrations. And then somebody mentioned this place called Tornillo. It was in the news. It was tents. There were boys in the tents. I went there. I didn't know what I was seeing there. I went home. I came back again. Um, and I was sitting in a room. I was sitting in a room full of people. We, you know, we had this at this weekend of act, action, sort of. Right. And, um, and people we were doing this this kind of a, a post mortem. And somebody said, you know, I'm tired of people coming down here and doing something for a day and thinking they'd actually accomplish something. And I felt she was talking about me. I'm sure she was. And um, I, I thought to myself, well, what could I do if I came back down? And I could not come up with a single thing except I could come down and I could be somewhere. And that place that I was going to be, I decided, was outside the gates of Tornillo. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did for her. And now, when did you start? Uh, when did you first come up and take that post there outside the gates of Tornillo? And, and, uh, and for how long? Right. It was, it was, it was about three months. Um, it was, I believe it was October of 2018 uh, that, that I started it. Time is a, is a funny thing doing a, a vigil like that. So I have this very, very vague notion of it. In fact, you know, I went out to Tornillo yesterday um, just to see it again, you know, where I'd spent three months living, living there uh, outside on, at the gates. Right. And um, I, I, I wrote up a, a reflection of, of, uh, of my day yesterday, my experience yesterday. If, if, you, if you have time, I'll read it to you if you'd like. Please, right now. Yes, absolutely. We're, we're a literary show. We love anything that you have to read with us and share. Please. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me read it to you then. I went to Tornillo yesterday. I had spent well-remembered time outside the gates of what was then a prison camp for what we called unaccompanied minors, better thought of as migrant children. I was there forever or for three months. It was a thousand years ago or three years. The wind was blowing yesterday and the cotton had not yet sprouted, so the fields were in dry clumps. I parked at the open area beside the gate to the port of entry, an open gate with nary a guard. I got out of my rented car to decide where to tread again in a place where my feet had at one time or another trod before nearly everywhere. There are no tents, no voices of soccer playing children on the wind, the children are not being kept here now. It's a little way down the down I-10 at Fort Bliss, the massive military base. 
somewhere on its endless acres, there are tents and there are children and there are sounds of children waver during the day and at night in their cots and in chronic uncertainty. No guard came to ask me my business at this border patrol station and bridge to the other side of the river, to the other side of the world, where I would cross a thousand years ago, where I still knew the way. Hmm. Lovely, lovely. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Words on a Wire, and uh, we are speaking with our guest today, Mr. Joshua Rubin, who um, is actually the subject of a documentary that recently came out called Witness at Tornillo. And uh, he's been posted up at uh, not just the, the Tornillo Detention Center when it was here back in 2018, but also at various detention sites across the country. And we're speaking with him just about his journey. He's back in El Paso today, um, preparing for a, uh, well, for, for a walk that's taking place this weekend. Although by the time this program airs, it'll have taken place, but, but uh, his work continues beyond that. Um, so Joshua, you know, so yes, you were staying out there at Tornillo for three months. That's when I actually met you um, because your action spurred myself to, to consider what was I doing as well. You know, that's the power of, be, of the witness, you know, seeing someone just standing there caring for three months repeatedly. And I had heard about this man standing there with a sign in front of the gates of this detention center. And I took my kids out there and I met you. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to see out there, but, you know, and then we continued to return out there and, and uh, you know, um, hold signs and bear witness with you uh, various times. And I know a lot of the community did. Um, and it finally, after several months, I remember there was some speculation and I know you had uh, most of the insight as far as I could see anyway. Um, as to the possibility of Tornillo finally shutting down, I remember feeling very optimistic, but yet cautiously optimistic because I wasn't sure that would actually happen, probably like what a lot of us felt. Um, how, did the, how did the news first come to you that, uh, I mean, how did it strike you when you first learned that Tornillo was actually going to be shut down, partly in due to the efforts of yourself and other protesters here in the El Paso community who spent much time out there and organizations who spent much time you know, when you first learned that it would, that the likelihood of it shutting down was coming, how did that make you feel and how did that happen? Well, first I have to say that when, at the time that I actually arrived there, they were talking about it shutting down. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, trucks were going in and new tents were being set up. So there was always talk about it being shut down. There was, it was always in the air, but I was standing at the entrance and I could see obviously more people were coming in were coming in and bathrooms were coming in and trailers were coming in that it was going in the opposite direction so somewhere in the course of of of, of the, the time that i spent there um the idea of it shutting down started to seem more possible and one of the reasons it seemed to me was that it was getting it was getting the kind of attention that is the kind of attention places like this don't want to have Right. Uh, politicians were showing up, more protesters were showing up, and it started to seem as though people were finding ways to, to say bad things about the place, to say, to say that this shouldn't be going on, that this is a strange thing to be happening here. Yeah. Um, we, we, we found out that it really was going to shut, I think, uh, when I really started to believe it. I, I believe it was possible all along. I don't exactly know why, because some of these other places don't seem possible at all to shut down. Uh, and I'll, I'll go there anyway, and I'll try and shut them down. But I don't know how they, I don't know how we're going to get shut down. Um, but this place, 
um, we, we, we learned finally, I, I think, that the guy who was running the place inside really didn't like what he was doing. Mm. Um, and word got out about that. He really was very uncomfortable with what he was doing. Wow. And at the time, he was being prevented from doing what these, this place is supposed to do, which is supposed to take some kids, make a bunch of phone calls, and place them with family, which is what's supposed to be going on now. And, and predictably enough, it's exactly what people are having trouble doing. Right. Uh, because we have a bureaucracy that's built not to do that. It's, it's a bureaucracy that, that caters to private companies that actually make a lot of money when right. kids stay there, not when they go home. Right, right. They go home later with, with, you know, with, with the trauma of an experience that they'll live with for the rest of their lives. Right. And these companies will go home uh, with, the, with the money that they made um, you know, by winning these contracts, which they invested in. They invested in... Um, you know, in, in, cam in campaigns of politicians who, when the time came, hired them to do this and right. so that they could rake in the money. Um, how did I feel? I, I felt, um, yeah, well, I, 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 I kind of felt it was kind of like an out-of-body experience, really. The, the, the fact that this place was going to close. And, and it left me with that, um, that hollow, empty and somewhat joyous feeling all of those at the same time um, that, that, that you get when, when your life is going to change radically, even for a good reason. Right. What was I going to do now? Right. I had changed my life to make a, you know, a single purpose. I was out there. You were, you were there, Tim. I was out there in these cotton fields, the mountains in the distance, the wind blowing constantly. Um, a, a chronic cough from the dust that it carried. I walked around. I had disputes and conflicts with, with the guards and with the police and everybody who was trying to get me to move away from there. My entire existence was defined as this thing that I was doing. So what happened? Um, uh, I left finally, uh, you know, with the help of my wife who, you know, pulled me out of there. And, um, and, and I drove home and I got home. And I, I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? And then I started getting phone calls about this place in, uh, in Florida called Homestead, which right. was another place just like this, except the phone call said, you got to go there because it's worse. Right. And, and now, you know, I mean, the, the, the story goes on and it, it carries us all the way to the present. But what happens is I, I, I find myself in these places where I'm lost in this, uh, um, in, the, in in this single purpose world, somehow to bring attention to what's going on, somehow to get people to look at it in a different way, finally to look at uh, migration as a human right and not as something that we could, every once in a while we allow somebody to do. Yeah, uh, and that's my that's, that's my purpose now. Right, right, and I know I'm familiar with the, your journey. I know that after Tornillo, you went to Homestead and were there for quite some time as well. Uh, it didn't seem to be, of course, uh, by my limited knowledge, it didn't seem to be as successful a, a, um, a situation as, you know, as Tornillo turned out. Um, but but where, where does Homestead stand now? Where does the situation there stand now in Florida? Well, Homestead, Homestead took longer to shut down, but we actually did shut it down. Oh, too. okay. I didn't uh, know that. Good, good. Yeah, we, we, we did shut it down. Um, finally, there were enough, enough excuses for some of the politicians to um, to support us, and we got the support that we needed, and and, and we, we had a stroke of luck. Um, the presidential candidates had their first debate in Miami, the Democratic candidates, and we 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 
collaborated with some people who got these candidates on record saying, of course, I'll go to Homestead and see the kids. <laughs> and, and they came out and they came out and they spoke and they stood on stepladders with me. And one of those people standing on stepladder with me was, was Kamala Harris mm -hmm. saying that if she ever got elected president, as, as we know, didn't work out the way she wanted, um, if she would shut down any for-profit detention for children. She would shut down a place like this. This kind of place would never open. Um, and in a few weeks, it, it, did, it did actually close. It, it, we, we, we started hearing there's no hurricane plan. What, what happens if, if a hurricane is there? We started hearing this is a, near a toxic waste site. And it was. All this was true. Uh, but we started hearing it in, in press, and it shut down. We, we shut Homestead, and even, even a few weeks ago, there was talk about opening Homestead again. There's actually still talk about it now. But I think that we've basically poisoned the waters, speaking of toxic waste, and that Homestead is not a place that's going to open. Unfortunately, there are plenty of other places that they can open, and one of them is Fort Bliss, which is what brings me to town this time. Right. You know... Um and one of the things, I mean, as a literary minded person, as a writer myself, and I know as I know you also not just not just somebody who's uh, a writer, you know, and, and, and who loves to journal yourself, I know that about you, uh, you know, but also a musician who appreciates a good lyric as well. I know that. I know those <laughs> things about you as well. Um, but you know, I can't help but when you continue to part part of the power of what you when you were witnessing um, was always at least for my by my assessment was always that you also chronicled what you were witnessing and made it public through your uh, social media, Facebook page and through other outlets, and and uh, a lot of folks continue to follow that. You were bearing witness for those of us who for some folks who couldn't be there, and and I have to say though that what really cap captivated me was. The, the the very kind of um the almost the for lack of a well actually i'll just say of the, the poetic aspect of of your experience um because you know you were writing about your interactions very intimate seemingly intimate interactions with even some of the guards the people that were guards there the the people that were working in there uh inside tornillo the exchanges even that you had just through almost sign language with the children who were there you know you were on the other side of the fence they would kick soccer balls over all these images that were beautiful and also tragic at the same time um, kept making their way into your writing as you were posting these bits of information in fact so much so that later on um, after knowing you, after you had left El Paso in late 2018 or early 2019, you know, it, it prompted me to write a poem, which I actually read at the beginning at the introduction of this, uh, of this before I was going to interview you. Um, you know, it inspired a long poem because there is so much, I think, just in your, in your subjective, uh, I'm sorry, in your objective chron chronicling of the situation, you know, um, it, there was... It was poetry and it was documentary all at once. Uh, and I just, I mean, there's no question in that. I just want to say how powerful that was, uh, you know, and continues to be in your journey and what you're doing. But there was, um, there was something else that came of that, and that's the documentary um, that you were highlighted in, not just yourself, but also those of you who all worked to shut down Tornillo. Um, tell me a little bit, with the few minutes we have left, tell me a little bit about what that experience was like and how people can access that documentary. Well, I'll start with the, the second part of your question there. You can access it by going to Carbon Trace. Um, uh, a, a search for a Carbon Trace will get you to a, uh, a film company, and uh, it's available for viewing there. So you'll be able to see it then. 
online, stream it online. And the official title of it's that documentary? It's, it's Witness at Tornillo. Right. Okay. And um, uh, it, it, was, it was an interesting experience because, uh, you know, filmmakers who come to a place like that are also going to experience it very, very personally. And, and back to your description of my description, I, I think what, what, what I realized I had to do in terms of this witnessing is I, I had to describe what was happening to me uh, while I was doing this. Um, because otherwise, I, otherwise I, I would sound like a reporter, which I really didn't want to sound like. And, and I think one of the more profound things that happened is the change that takes place in somebody who is willing to take a look at what's going on uh, without, uh, you know, an intervening screen like, uh, like, we, like we have to live with now, I'm afraid. But without an intervening screen, we, we have an experience that... Um, that makes a, a kind of a, a magic in the world. We start to see deeper, um, we start to see things that aren't just there, but are hanging in the air somehow, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the figures fill out and I start seeing further and further back. If, um, so what happened with the filmmakers? Well, you know, they, they, they did feature me. They kind of uh, centered on me and said, you know, here's this guy talking about his experience, which is what it was. I, you know, at the time I thought this is, this is a little embarrassing. I'd say this is a little embarrassing because I don't want this to be about me, but it, it's not true. I do want it to be about me, but about this part of me, the part of me that says you should go out there and you should experience this without mediation. And, and then you should chronicle what happens to you as well as what happens to the world. Right, right. And that's absolutely what I gather. I think that's what made the documentary so important. I got to attend the, um, one of the premieres for it that was held here at the University of Texas in El Paso, where I teach as well. And, um, you know, it, was just, it, was just a, it seemed like a very well-received um, documentary and important, important to spread the message and the word. Uh, and not just, not just in its time as it's happening, but also, you know, in years from now, once, you know, once, uh, you know, in a new era, that documentary will still be, uh, I think, important and vital, unfortunately. But, uh, but, you know, at the same time, we need to see what it means to bear witness and the sacrifices that go into that, not just for one person, but also for a community, you know, for an immediate community, a local community, and then by extension, even the national community, you know, um, what's at stake and the kind of sacrifices it requires to do this kind of work, you know, which which uh, I'm really grateful for, uh, you know, and for knowing you just as a friend, you know, I'm very grateful for your work and, and, and your influence. Um, and I'm pretty much just, uh, you know, I, I, I was excited to have you back on the show, Joshua, and to talk about this. Um, one of the things for those of us, because we're shutting down now, I mean, we're, we're about closing here. And one of the things I want is for our listeners out there, how, do they, how are they able to access, you know, I know that you have an events page of some kind, I think that's on a website. How can they get more information looking forward and, and how do they know where to participate? Here's a couple of a couple of ways. One is uh, witnessattheborder.org. It's a website. Um, it uh, it has uh, reporting about uh, deportation flights, and it also has um, uh, reflections, witness reflections that I write on a regular basis. Another way to find out is to join the the Facebook page, uh, Witness at the Border. It's a group page. Um, I, there there's news there every day. There are events there, and my writings also appear there. And so do other witnesses' writings appear there. So that's, uh, that's the way to get it. And by the way, I'm very happy to be in El Paso where almost everybody's a witness at the border. Um, that's part of being back here. 
Right, absolutely. I, I have to agree with that. And we hope that uh, maybe you'll put all of these writings that you've been doing for quite some time now into a book. Is that coming up? <laughs> a book that we could all go out and buy? I often, hear, I often hear that being suggested, but I, I think I kind of like the ephemeral nature of what I write. I like the fact that it floats away in time. Um, <laughs> but there is a way to get it back, I'm told. So maybe I'll consider that sometime. Thank you for your encouragement. Well, absolutely. I think you should. I think it'd be a powerful uh, you know, documentation of what you've been doing and the work that needs to be done in the world. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, my friend. Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. And uh, good luck. Uh, well, I mean, you know, good luck with all that you're doing uh, in this pursuit and we'll continue to support and to, uh, you know, keep track of what you're doing out there. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That wraps it up for this edition of Words on a Wire. We'd like to thank our special guest today, Mr. Joshua Rubin. Be sure to uh, follow up with all of his um, important work that he's doing there with his websites, uh, which he gave uh, to you just a minute ago. Also like to thank our wonderful producer here in the studio, Mr. Sam Cassiano, and of course our podcast producer, Claudia Flores. You can check us out on Apple uh, Podcast and as well as Spotify. And uh, that's it for me. We'll see you next week, same time, same place, right here on Words on a Wire, KTEP 88.5 FM. Mm-hmm.